People ask me all the time what I do to care for my skin. First, I have to admit, I've got good genes from my mom and dad. But to be honest, it's really a lot more than that. And maybe not what you think. You see, what we put in makes just as much difference as what we put on. And I mean, spiritually, physically, and topically. It's a little like staying alive on the campaign trail. Well, it's been a couple of years since I taught a class on healthy living with my friends and I've decided to start another one. Listen, I love learning from these guys. You guys are going to love them too. Dr. Edie Wadsworth, Candace Crabtree, and of course, Melissa Crabtree are making up the dream team that's coming with me to teach you and you're not going to want to miss it. We're going to cover hormones, stress, sleep, weight loss, roller coaster emotions, and of course, topical skincare. And I'm going to tell you my favorites and let you in on my routine. This class is open to anybody who's already in my oily family or who doesn't have an active Young Living account, meaning you can't have ordered within the last 12 months. I don't want to take anybody away from somebody else's oily family. Listen, you guys, this is going to be awesome. The class is August 8th through 11th happening on Facebook. Go to thebusymom.com forward slash oils and get all the details. Hey, everybody. This is Heidi St. John. Thanks for tuning in today. You guys have found me at Off the Bench. Today, my friend Andrew Pudawa is here, and we're going to be talking in very real and encouraging, I hope, I hope uh, encouraging terms about what's happening in the culture around us. Many of you guys are suffering right now. We're definitely in a recession in the United States, and we don't often talk about what it looks like to walk through seasons of suffering. This is going to be a great show, you guys. Stick around. I think you're going to be encouraged. All right, you guys, so before I get into it today, today obviously being Tuesday, and today is the primary here in Washington State, and so I hope you guys are going to continue to pray for me. You know that for the last several days, we have been entering into a season of just prayer and fasting and me asking you to come alongside me as a sister in Christ and just pray us through today. So I hope that you're praying for us and that the joy of the Lord is our strength, no matter what the outcome is, we will always be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. So no matter what sphere of influence the Lord calls us to, we are called to be salt and light wherever that is. I will not be on tomorrow. I'm going to go ahead and air part two of this interview tomorrow. And then on Thursday, uh, I will come back and I'll give you the update as to how that went. You can find out if you want to follow it sort of in real time, you can follow me at my Facebook page, but I want to just thank you guys for your prayers. All right, without further ado, I want to get right to my guest today. Andrew Pudawa is the founder and executive director of the Institute for Excellence in Writing. But beyond that, he happens to be a very dear and trusted friend of mine. I'm so excited that he's come on the show with me today. He's going to bless and encourage you. Andrew, my friend, welcome to the show. It is always a privilege and a pleasure to speak with you in any venue, Heidi, but especially on this one of the greatest podcasts that I ever hear. <laughs> well, thank you. And I, I tell you, what that tells me is that you don't listen to very many podcasts, but also... Uh, it just speaks, I think, to the to the friendship that you and I share and have over the years. I haven't been out on the circuit as much this year, as you know, because I've been a little preoccupied running for the House of Representatives. You actually played a part in that. Do you remember? I remember sitting at your dinner table in your home with your family, and you let me know that this was something you were considering. And I remember a whole lot of thoughts flooded my mind almost. Uh, simultaneously. And I, I don't remember exactly what I said to you, except um, probably something like you're going to suffer horribly. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> you did say something like that. I remember just, you know, in sort of your, your way, 
I said, would you pray about this? And you just leaned across the table and said, I don't need to pray about it. I know you're supposed to do it. And they said, okay, all right, I'll pray about it. <laughs> well, you had a bunch of other people doing the prayers and telling you basically the same thing, if I remember. Yeah. And here you are a year and a half uh, later and fully into it. And, and today's the day. So I guess we'll find out what's God's will. And I remember you said to me one thing, you know, win or lose, God has a plan for what has happened. And as I've listened to you speak truth into people's lives, speak truth, hopefully into the system to some degree, we never know. And I think that's one thing you and I have experienced is we never know the seeds how they will sprout, how they will bless people. We never know one thing we might say today that's going to cause someone a year or a decade from now yeah. to have had different choices and experiences. And, you know, whether that's in the world of homeschooling or their personal spiritual walk or some political act that they uh, were able to undertake in some way, we're, we're all in this tapestry we can't see the front the back is a horrible mess yep but we have faith and it's just such a blessing to share this life of faith with with people of extraordinary faith like you and jay and your family thank you well you have been since i've known you obviously talking about uh institute for excellence in writing and you've been here to the homeschool resource center to teach and it's such a joy and i hope that we get to do that again but you're taking a little bit of a turn and what you've been talking about out on the circuit i think really as the holy spirit is just leading you and uh showing you what you're supposed to be talking about and i think it's really appropriate for where we're going today that we acknowledge that this world is not an easy place to live and you and I have observed, and we've talked about this many times on the road, that the church today, particularly uh, in the name it and claim it and the prosperity gospel that we hear that's so prevalent in the culture right now, that we really don't have a theology for suffering. But you've written uh, a really great workshop that you're giving. How did you come to this topic and how is it being received? Yeah, well, I I, um, I was originally going to title it. <clears throat> Preparation for martyrdom. Oh, no. And that sounded just a little bit too extreme. And, you, you know, you want people to come to your talks when you go to conventions. You don't want empty rooms. Hey, as I recall, you said you didn't like speaking opposite of me when I was talking about marriage, right? Remember the Busy Homeschool Mom's Guide to Romance? And you're like, please, for the love of all things, I don't want to be next to Heidi when she's talking about that because people did want to hear about that, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Who doesn't want a little romance? Maybe not so much martyrdom. Well, you know, it, it, I guess it depends on what kind of mood you're in. Right. And for some people that might be almost an <laughs> Maybe it's the same thing. <laughs> but I, I think what happened is I, you know, I get these little promptings. They may be from the Holy Spirit. I would like to think so. But I do remember standing one day um, in my home um, looking in a mirror and thinking, I need to talk about this. Um, you, you know, I, I think about a lot of us Christian homeschoolers today and the conversations people have, their concerns are so much about how can I continue my level of comfort and security? How can I prepare my children to 
get a good education so they can continue to live this comfortable, safe, you know, wonderful life that we really have been blessed with for decades. Yep. And and it struck me as very odd. I don't think any of the early Christians woke up in the morning and said, hmm, how can I educate my children so they can be ready for college, so they can <laughs> go get a college degree, which will then assure them of getting a better job so they'll have more income so their children can be comfortable and secure. No, their their entire thinking essentially was, how do we prepare our children for persecution and martyrdom, which is, that was normal. That for was being their Christian. reality. Yeah. Yeah. For a couple hundred years, at least, that was kind of the universal attitude that Christians had to hold. And I just thought, you know, our attitude is so radically different than the attitude of Christians throughout so much of history. Mm. So I started to kind of undertake a sequence of reading that was a lot about people who had suffered for their beliefs, political beliefs, Christian beliefs. People had willingly uh, decided to undertake persecution, uh, even uh, imprisonment, rather than deny Christ, rather than compromise on the truth. And uh, you you and I both have a mutual friend in Rod Dreher. Indeed. And, you know, his book, Live Not By Lives, I know that you've talked with him about that on your podcast. And it's certainly something, if any of your listeners missed that, uh, it's it's go find it in the archive. Oh, yeah, I'll link to back it. to it in today's show notes. That's a great idea. Yeah, you know, I, I think that book was probably the most important book of the year, if not possibly still one of the most important books in print. But I always warn people, the first half is pretty depressing. Um, you know, he talks about here were the real life experiences of people in Eastern Europe in the Soviet era. Here were real life experiences of people under the, the Nazi era. Here were here here's what we see in some of the great dystopian fiction, these trends of, you know, the memory hole from from 1984 or the absolute worshiping of pleasure in Brave New World. And you, you see all of these factors converge. And by the end of the first half of the book, you kind of feel like, man, it's hopeless. Right. We're here. We're in this soft totalitarianism. There is no going backwards. We're not going to go back to an America that put family first, that valued, you know, following at least the semblance of the Ten Commandments right. and, and the commands of Christ. We're in an, we're in a world that has an active hatred of that going on. And if we don't imagine that we as Christians could suffer an actual persecution during our lifetimes in the way that that has happened in the past, I think we, you know, we're head in the sand, totally ignoring the handwriting on the wall to double the cliches there. And so how do we how do we go about thinking about next week, next year, next decade? If I mean, Heidi, could you or I or anyone we know 10 years ago have imagined what we've got going right now with critical race theory in the schools, this gender dis, you know, this gender agenda that's so hateful 
of things that have traditionally been what we know is good and right for families and for for the health of our soul. Yeah, and we would have never been we would have never been arguing about it either. Uh, the world is not is not the way it was even just ten short years ago. You make a really good point. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Are you homeschooling your kids? Well, I want to recommend the Institute for Excellence in Writing. If you are looking for a course that's going to breathe life into teaching language arts to your kids, IEW is for you. It's comprehensive. It includes writing, grammar, and vocabulary. And I want to encourage you to check out IEW's Fix-It Grammar, and it's been integrated with structure and style for students. This is broken down into achievable steps that are going to give your students success. Try it for free for three weeks at IEW.com forward slash Heidi. So Andrew, when you think about where we were 10 years ago and, and parents, I think this is an amazing time to be raising children because we do have an opportunity to shore them up in their faith and teach them about where we were. Where do you start? Like when you're when you're giving this uh, presentation, where where are you starting with people in such a, it feels like such a weighty, heavy topic but I also think you've got now a generation of people, at least what I'm starting to see is a shift, ready to hear a message that 10 years ago we weren't ready to hear. But I think that it's changing. Yeah, absolutely. When I poll audiences and ask them, um, are you feeling this way? You know, and I express my concerns about all of these circumstances and, and current uh, events. Uh, how many of you are? feeling strongly like you need to prepare for a future you really can't imagine right mm -hmm. now. Pretty much, you know, everybody. 10 years ago, 20%, 30% of the people. Now it's pretty much anyone who comes to the talk. Mm -hmm. And so I, I was thinking a lot, one of the books I recommend, and I would recommend it to you and your, your reader, your listeners there, um, there's a professor at Grove City College named Carl Truman, T-R-U-M-A-N, T-R-U-E-M-A-N, Truman. And he wrote a book called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. I have that book, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, I think that's very valuable because he kind of goes through and it, it's a rapid history of, of modern philosophy lesson. But he talks about the rise uh, in the early 1800s of the romantic poets of this rejection of traditional, what we might call Judeo-Christian monogamous marriage relationship a foundation that, that we all kind of grew up assuming was the best. Yes, people have always, you know, had infidelity. There's always been divorce. There's always been bad things, but we we never really started rejecting it as a baseline for what was the best way to live until that period of the early 1800s. And then we saw, of course, the rise of many philosophical influences, Nietzsche, Darwinism. Uh, we saw the rise of Marx mm -hmm. and Freud. And he kind of brings it all together and talks about the marriage of Marx and Freud with, you know, economic Marxism. Well, that failed. Yep. Every, anyone alive on earth today can look at the hundred years of communist domination of Eastern Europe and 
still in some countries today, economic Marxism totally failed. But what we're seeing and what he's pointing it out is we're having a new, essentially a, a sexual Marxism, if you will, where the class struggle is no longer an economic one, but the oppressor and the oppressed is very much based on sexual identity. And this, of course, was enabled by Freud, who came up with this unbelievably disordered idea that the whole world basically bought into, which is all human motivation is is based in sexuality. That, you know, every decision that we make, it, it goes way back to our primal, primeval sexual needs and desires. And, you know, this is just completely um, taken over the thinking of so many people today. Mm -hmm. So in his book, it really was kind of the the point that coalesced between what Dreyer was saying, um, look at the history, look at the circumstances. How did people preserve their faith mm -hmm. in through these very hard times? And that's the second part of his book that's not so depressing right. and very valuable and, and even encouraging. But where we're at today, and this is, I think, my slightly unique take on this, is the problem of identity. Yeah. Um, we do not have a method or we we were not raised. I was not raised to have a way to define myself mm. well. And my observation is that if we do not learn and teach our children how to define ourselves correctly, the world will try to define us for right. us. Yeah, we don't know who we and are. And I, yeah, yeah, we don't. And and this this hit me. I saw a uh, a post somewhere. Uh, actually, I think it was I, I was listening to uh, a podcast where this was mentioned. And then I went to find this, and it was a poster that was in a high school in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, heartland mm -hmm. country. You know, good people yeah. everywhere. But in the high school there, it was on the bulletin board. And it had kind of these uh, rainbow theme cartoony thing. But here's what really hit me about this poster. The, the verbiage on it, it said, um, if your parents don't agree with your identity, I'm your mom now. And then hashtag free, free mom hugs or something. You go see what this organization is and what they're doing. But I thought, okay, this is really interesting because they want to use a poster to enforce a particular way in which everyone should identify themselves, mm -hmm. primarily through their sexual orientation or their sexual preferences or their gender or their positioning in society in that way. And I I just thought, as I looked at that, I thought, wow, this is so far and disordered from what, you know, we should be right. thinking about who we are. So I would never in a million years, if you ask me, well, who are you, Andrew Pudua? The last thing I would ever imagine saying is, well, let's see, I'm a white, yeah. cisgendered, <laughs> heterosexual, monogamous, 
um, middle class American male. I mean, you know, those things wouldn't even come on my screen. And yet that's that's absolutely the way almost a majority of people in the world would think of me. So how do we think of ourselves properly? And so that's what I've been uh, kind of contemplating and trying to share with other people, starting with the big, big question first. And, and for me, the biggest question any single person can ask themselves is, am I a created being or am I an accident mm. of the universe? Because every single question and answer that happens after that will will stem from that first identification. If you believe that you are a created being, then it immediately implies a relationship with a creator. If you are an accident of the universe, you have no relationship. Mm. And so trying to unpack this idea of how, you know, our identities are all based on relationships. And everything stems from there. So who am I? Well, first, I'm a created being. That means I have a creator. Did that creator give me any guidelines on how to think about myself? Having a creator changes everything. If you have, if you acknowledge, yes, I'm a created being, then I have a creator. It changes everything about the way that you think. Absolutely. And and I think, you know, that's why we look at Darwinism as being such a, an insidious turning point and how it infected the schools and the sciences, the universities, the, the, the popular literature and culture. And, and everyone, to some degree, has bought into this concept that, no, we just evolved. You know, well, maybe there was a God and he created us through evolution. And so, you know, there's there's that whole idea of, you know, deism or whatever that. that Yeah, theistic evolution. Almost more insidious Mm -hmm. than a flat out atheistic evolution. Yeah, because this the because theistic evolution goes back to the lie in the Garden of Eden. Did God really say, which is the very first thing that the devil did was try to get Adam and Eve uh, to doubt whether or not God meant what he said. And we see this in theistic evolution, which is a, a scourge in the church. I see it everywhere. Yeah, yeah, and, and and it's it's so sad when you talk to young people, and you realize that n- nothing has really come along to challenge this very significantly for them. And uh, yeah, some of them go to home. Five percent of them go to homeschool conventions, and one percent of those go sit on a, in on a talk that may help them. But I think parents are woefully ill-equipped to challenge that. And and then, of course, other relationships fall in line under that hierarchy. So the next one would be, in my case, um, I'm a follower of Christ. So that that expands the relationship from just I'm a created being to now I am a follower of Christ and there's a relationship there. Then, you know, where where do we go from there? I'm a member of a church. That creates a relationship. Um, I might come down a little bit from there and say, I am a husband. You know, I am a spouse. I have a wife. There's a relationship there. That is an identity creating relationship. 
Um, I am a parent and a grandparent. Uh, I am also a child. I have parents. They're all deceased, but there's still a relationship there. And then I might, you know, go down a little bit further and say, I am a friend to people. That friend, that relationship defines my identity. And, and I would get really pretty low before I would even think about, well, you know, I'm the director of the Institute for Excellence in Writing. And, you know, I have coworkers for whom I am responsible. And I, I would probably at some point remember, oh, yeah, and I'm an American citizen. <laughs> and there's responsibilities and identity connected there. And, and so, I, I, you know, I guess my way of thinking about it is in this hierarchy that is so very, very valuable. And then, and here's the, I think the power of this, and and we may have to continue because this is to me the most important part of it, is that there's a code and a creed that are attached with each relationship. So when I say I am a created being and the creator gave me guidelines as to how to know who I am and what to do in life. Well, what are those things? Those are the Ten Commandments. Those are the books of the law. Those are the things that God said, you are my people. And here's how you can know that. And and that whole idea of covenant was all about code. Um, creed is what I believe that allows me to continue to follow the code. Um, you think about um, uh, being a follower of Christ. Okay, that's an added set of commands, the commands of Christ that are not easy, you know, to love your neighbor as yourself, to give up everything and take up your cross and follow him. Those are commands that are way beyond the capacity of a limited human mind. Those require way huge amounts of supernatural grace, but those are the commands. And then we have the, the creed. We have those things which we believe and that strengthen our ability to follow the code that allows us to stay in a state of grace where it's possible to do that. Uh, go down one more notch. Um, you know, uh, the church has precepts. Uh, this is why I think a lot of modern churches have lost a lot because they've made it so easy to be a Christian to show up and sing a few songs and trust that God saved you. Um, I don't know if you heard it, but Jordan Peterson uh, gave a series of messages, one of them to the Christian churches. And what did he say? He said, be more demanding of your people, especially the young men. Call them to a life of challenge. That's what they crave. That's what they want. I've always been fascinated with Peterson's appeal with young people. What was what was his first book? Antidote to Chaos, 12 Rules for Life. Yeah. It's like the code, the precepts, the cre the the commands, the the laws, the rules. Once we have those, we can do more, we can be more, and when we reject those, then we embrace anarchy and we start to deconstruct who we who we can be who we yeah. want well to be. and that's that's where we are right now 
Uh, Andrew, I'm out of time for today, but I'd love it if you'd come back tomorrow. And I want to pick this discussion up where we left off. I, I was looking at your notes earlier. You were talking about some some very pervasive untruths that we have believed in the culture and why it's doing so much damage and what we can do to, again, infuse truth and eventually hope and really a theology for suffering into the culture. Would you come back tomorrow? Oh, absolutely. Andrew, you're a treasure. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. I appreciate it. God bless you. You too. For more information about my friend Andrew Pudua and the Institute for Excellence in Writing, check out the show notes today, you guys. We've got a really cool special going on for those of you who are interested in looking out structure and style. I've been talking about that for the last several days, so check it out, HeidiStJohn.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening today, everybody. I will see you back here tomorrow with my friend Andrew Pudua right here at the intersection of faith and culture.